everybody, and welcome to Below the Line, a podcast brought to you by the Lower East Side Film Festival about all things indie filmmaking and other things as well. I'm Shannon Walker. My co-host today is Roxy Hunt. Hello. Welcome, Roxy. And our guest today is Michael Angarano. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. We like to start out the episode talking about uh, things that we've been consuming, that we've been watching, reading, anything that we want to, you know, share with people. Sure. I've been recently on uh, a Twin Peaks binge. Oh. I, I, I had never watched the, the first two seasons or Firewalk with me, and I have now. Well, I, I actually, I'm halfway through season two. But I skipped to watch Firewalk with me anyway. And I still haven't watched the new, the new episodes yet. Last night, Michael's film, Avenues, opened the Lower East Side Film Festival. And then there was a party afterwards. And there was a lot of tequila for me, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were, what were you imbibing? Um, vodka soda. Oh, okay. That's a good one. It's a good one. And it's, uh, it's effective. Yeah, it does, the, it does job. the job. It does the job. And... Um, I think it's a mistake ultimately because <laughs> I, you know, I just, I feel bad. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I feel pretty bad. Yeah, we got, we, we still got more day to sweat this out. Yeah. But I'm not drinking ever again. Never. <laughs> Never. Roxy, what have you been consuming? Um, and what did you consume last night, alcoholically? Alcoholically, I consumed a lot of white wine. <laughs> Which white is wine kind of is the worst, worst hangover, hangover that is, of all time. And it's oh, pretty pathetic sounding, too. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, wine in general is too sugary and... You just have a yeah. massive headache. In the front. It's the confusion hangover for me. It's like when I wake up and I don't know what to do with the day, where mm-hmm. like something is pulling me in one direction and then... Mm-hmm. I remember that I have to do something else, and I'm not sure which one to do first. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense, or is that, sure. is that yeah. just... Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Usually the answer is just drink more wine. That's really? what I'm going to do. Okay. That's good. <laughs> That's great. So, um, what am I... Uh, yeah. So, I've been consuming... I have a little secret that I really enjoy. Ooh. Younger, which <laughs> yes. is... The premise is basically is like um, that movie Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore, where, like, older woman goes back right. to high school and they're, mm-hmm. no one's the wiser because she's wearing a wig or whatever. Um, younger is that, but updated to today. And it's like a woman in her 40, or who's 40, who... Um, Played by Sutton Foster. Yes, who's awesome. And she goes back to getting, tr- trying to get into the workforce of publishing. Mm-hmm. And she realizes that she can't get a job as a 40-year-old, so she pretends to be 26. And everyone buys it somehow. (laughs) Millennials get all the jobs. Yep. Yeah. So it's her and Hilary Duff are like besties. Mm -hmm. And does Hilary Duff know her secret? Is Hilary Duff supposed to be in high school? No, she's supposed to be 26 too. Oh, oh, oh. oh, Uh, Sorry. Yes. It's unlike Never Been Kissed. Instead of high school, they're 26 year olds in publishing world of New York City. (laughs) I watched the other day Wizard of Lies on HBO. Oh, is that the the Bernie Madoff? That's the Bernie Madoff one Mm. starring Robert De Niro and Michelle Pfeiffer. I didn't care for it. I didn't care for it. I did care for Michelle Pfeiffer's Bob that looked exactly like Ruth Madoff's. Bob. They did a great job on that. But shout out to the Bob. Shout out to the Bob. (laughs) Michael, let's talk about Avenues, which is your directorial debut. Yes. And can you tell us a little bit about the story 
and then a little bit about what your writing process was. Sure. Yeah. Well, the film is about a young guy who's celebrating his birthday about a month after the death of his older brother. And it takes place all in a day, and um, the young guy who... Uh, uh, great young actor named Michael Angarano plays. Oh, <laughs> um, I've heard of him. He, he, uh, he, uh, his best friend, uh, played by Nick Braun, comes down to visit him, and they meet these two girls in an Indian restaurant, and they sort of have this quintessential New York day, and, um, yeah, it's sort of one of those days in New York where it's romantic, it's like a J.D. Salinger short story, and then everything goes terribly wrong mm -hmm. and it's uh, sort of vignette -y and it's it it's for me i i love movies like you know before sunset mm -hmm. before sunrise that was truly like a, a very big inspiration mm -hmm. for for this movie sort of very just very character driven and mm -hmm. plotless and freewheeling um and i wrote it when i was 22 mm -hmm. and um i wrote it I wrote the first draft in about five or six days, you know, in my parents' house in my underwear. Oh. And then I, I rewrote it for the next five or six years. And, um, yeah. What were some of the lessons you learned as a first-time director? And mm -hmm. what are some, working with so many directors and so many wonderful directors throughout your career, I imagine you probably thought of all of them and the mm -hmm. things you liked and didn't like about whomever. Mm -hmm. A good side note, something that was very important to me was I was in the middle of filming The Nick at the time. Mm -hmm. I was in between seasons one, one and two, and I had worked with Soderbergh before. Um, but I knew the way or the way I eventually wanted a, you know, a set to function. Mm -hmm. um, was similar to the way that Soderbergh runs his set. And it, it's it's extremely, it's like a well-oiled machine. Yeah, tell and us about it. Well, I mean, you know, you could read about it. It's it's mm -hmm. it's like, it's unlike anything else because mm -hmm. he he has optimized time. And that, that's really something that he's he, he cares a lot about and something that he's very interested in doing. And so his, um, his decision to be his own DP, his own cameraman, his own editor, essentially were all decisions he made over the course of his career to optimize time and to optimize mm -hmm. um, communication. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it makes for shorter shooting days. Yeah. You know, I, I think on season two, we had one day that was 12 hours, everything else. I think we averaged about like eight and a half hour to nine hour days. Um, which is unheard of. It's crazy. it's crazy. And so, of course, like me going into my first film, I was like, yeah, we're not going to have a lot of 12-hour days. Cut to like 16 hours later, outside of Central Park, freezing. <laughs> um, you know, there, there were I, the way I shot the film particularly was, um, was really inspired by um, the way Soderbergh shoots. And um, not in a, you know... You can't compare the two because they're incomparable. But the the choice to not shoot a lot of coverage, to sh the choice to, um, you know, it was a stylistic choice to get a lot of uh, one oneers, a lot, you know, a lot of shot, a lot of scenes in one take, and mm -hmm. I, I I learned a lot about that. You know, the little things like the 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 little B roll and the cutaway shots that 
that you can get in, you know, 20 seconds really make a huge difference in the editing room later. But for me, like, as much as I've been on film sets my entire life, mm -hmm. and so I, I, as far as like communicating with people and your relationship with actors and, and producers, I, I was pretty, I was pretty able, I felt. But as far as some, like some of the technical things, I, I was very incapable. I, I, I realized um, on day one that I, I didn't know the difference between like a, a 25 millimeter lens and a 100 millimeter lens. Like all these things I sort of learned as I went, which I don't recommend doing. <laughs> I don't really recommend doing that. And also I'm so used to show, as an actor, I'm so used to showing up at a location and being handed sides and you know what scene you're doing and, and being told what to do. But as the director, you're the one who has to tell people what to do. So there were a lot of times where I was, you know, getting makeup done in the, in the warming van with the actors and we would, rehearse, we would rehearse the scene for a little bit. And then like 10 minutes go by and I would be like, what the fuck are we, what are we waiting for? And I would see the DP in the first AD outside looking for me and I would be like, oh yeah, I got it, That's, I, I gotta go. I, I shouldn't be here for also what's very cool uh it's cool to mention that during the editing process um all the we had like several screenings we would we would screen the movie for friends and family and it was essentially a revolving door of the cast of, and crew of the nick cool you know cool. everyone from like jack Emil, the the, the writer to uh, to Greg Jacobs, the first AD and, uh -huh. and Steven's producing partner to Andre Holland and Chris Sullivan and Eve Houston, like all of these people were, wow. you know, essentially had a huge hand in, in like molding the film. That's so neat. That's and awesome. had great notes and yeah. were very helpful. Yeah. Did Soderbergh check it out? He did, actually. Oh, well, he awesome. did. And he gave us some of the best notes that we had and uh, changed the name of your movie. <laughs> well, what was it? The original working title uh -huh. was uh, Malfunctions and Coincidences. Oh. And um, that's a lot of It's a lot syllables. of syllables. <laughs> and nobody could remember it. Uh -huh. Nobody remembered it. Uh -huh. The editor, in the middle of editing the movie, turned to me at one point. He goes, what's the title of the film again? I said, that's not good. No. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> series that's actually just premiered on Showtime called I'm Dying Up Here. Yes. I'm Dying Up Here is basically about, you know, the stand-up stand -up comedy scene in Los Angeles in the 1970s, mid-70s? Yeah, it's like 1973. Okay. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, the show and, and your experience on it. And Well, Jim Carrey, um, executive, produces the show, and it's been something that he's been really wanting to uh, bring to life for a long time. It's something that he really, really, really cares about. And... Um, I play a character named Eddie Zydell, and I, uh, he's from Boston, and Clark Duke and I are, are best friends in the pilot, and we, in the pilot we come out from Boston to Los Angeles, because Los Angeles was the, the, the mecca of stand-up comedy at the time, and uh, particularly uh, the Comedy Store was, um, was this venue that you know comics like Richard Pryor and David Letterman and Robin Williams and Jay Leno and Elaine Boozler and eventually Jim Carrey and Sam Kinison, you know these guys, um, they would workshop their material on on any given night. Uh, a talent scout from the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson would be in the audience, 
And if they got five minutes on, on, on the Tonight Show and then got invited onto Johnny's couch after, it would, you know, launch them. And so that was, and it could happen in a night. And so that's really what these people sacrificed everything for at mm -hmm. the time. And it was, uh, it was really fun. It was a really fun show because guys, real stand-ups um, like Andrew Santino and Eric Griffin and Al Magical wrote and also uh, starred in the show. So it was, um, it, it was really eye-opening because to not only, because the script was great, but to, to get an insight into stand-up um, from these guys' point of view, it, it really, you really see that to be a stand-up comedian, you, you have to have this like, this hunger and, and to just go on stage every night and, and to workshop that material and to get that laugh because we, we would shoot like, you know, 12, 13 hours a day. And so many times, like Eric Griffin would go off and have three sets at the comedy store. And it's just something that, you know, I don't know, that a normal person doesn't right. have that. You have to have right. some special DNA. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us uh, about your character and if you did any research, if you... Yeah. Did you do a couple sets at uh, the comedy store? <laughs> well, I mean, I essentially started going to the comedy store and the improv right. every day. Wow. And would go to a huge amount of open mics and went up a couple of times, a handful of did times. You? you did. Yeah, Tell but... Tell us what that felt like. I mean... <laughs> Scariest Do I have ever? to? It's like, <laughs> it's really, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty petrifying. Yeah. It's, it's like, I mean, obviously the greatest, the greatest difference from, I think, being an actor and, and doing stand-up is, you know, you're, when you're an actor, you're, you're pretty much doing a character and you're, you're saying words that aren't your own. And that that's a great excuse for for opening up and and you know and not being as vulnerable but when you're doing stand up and especially when you're just starting out going to these open mics you have 3 minutes mm -hmm. and you're essentially begging them to laugh <laughs> that's what it felt like yeah. and and i think you know the more experienced comedians are essentially doing a character like jim carrey is doing a character bill hicks was doing a character mm -hmm. and um, Sam Kinison was doing a character, Mitch but that Hedberg. takes, yeah, Mitch Hedberg is doing mm -hmm. a character. Louis C.K. is doing a character. Mm -hmm. These guys, um, it takes years to create that, that image on stage. Um, and so to have three minutes in front of, you know, in an upstairs of a Chinese restaurant to tell a joke is, was, um, pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, it was great because by the end of it, I, I started out not wanting to, do it in front of anybody like the 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 least up the fewest amount of people was was what I wanted I, I wanted my audience to be like two people <laughs> but by the I did it I did it a couple times and some were better than others but you know by the fifth by the fourth or fifth time I was starting to want to do it in front of more people because I was like well how can I know if it's funny or not mm -hmm. and I think that was a real turning point and my character in the show fortunately is um is just starting out mm -hmm. and so he's a lot of his sets are unpolished and he's not quite where the older the, the older comedians are and he's still creating that character and for me one of the great um 
potential things about the show is to not only watch the show evolve, but to watch these characters' comic voices evolve. Mm -hmm. The end of our show, we like to talk about fun facts. Ooh. And about our favorite films mm. or a bit of trivia. Wait, what do we call it now? Um, I didn't know. I had no idea. I had no idea is what we called it one time, <laughs> and then we called it fun facts one time. So it's always changing. My fun fact mm. is about Joan Rivers and Johnny Carson. Mm. So it relates to I'm dying up here mm. and uh, good tie-in. Yeah, good nice. tie-in. Uh, so. Joan Rivers was on Johnny Carson a lot, and they were great friends. Mm. And when she got her own late night talk show, mm -hmm. he never talked to her again after that because he felt that he launched her career, and then she's betraying him by going up on the at the same. Oh, time on TV. Yeah. Right. And I don't think they ever talked again after that. I did know that. You did know that? I did know Oh. Yeah. Right. Well, did you know that, Michael? I didn't know that, no. Phew. Uh -huh. I was afraid everybody on the show would know that fun <laughs> fact, and we'd all be for naught. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, because that's, you know, he did have a huge responsibility that of, well, not a responsibility, but he, he launched, if yeah. you went on Carson, you were famous. Right. You know, and you, your career was made. And I love that it takes place, that the show takes place in the 70s. Right. Because it, it's a special time. And right. unlike today, unlike, you know, the time before it, if you could get on Carson, you, you know, deal done. Right. Um, so I love that it takes place in the 70s. I have a fun fact. Mm. Tell us, Rexy. It's about Seinfeld, so it nice. also relates. <laughs> um, so according to IMDb, oh. the original script for Seinfeld was called Stand Up, um, and it was to be a 90-minute mockumentary about how a stand-up comedian writes his jokes based on his everyday life. Oh. Uh, it was to air in place of Saturday Night Live for one night, and NBC liked the script so much that they decided to develop it into a pilot instead. Wow. Larry David was a writer on SNL Correct. for mm. one season, yeah. and then he got fired. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. and he, he, yeah, which is interesting. Do you have a fun fact? I have a fun of? fact. This is a little rusty, but this is a great, great story, and I'm, I might butcher it a little bit, but it involves John Cassavetes and Richard Harris. Hmm. And um, one night, um, I think it was like a pre-Golden Globes party or some awards party where Gina Rollins was... Uh, was nominated, and Richard Harris was presenting the award. And John Cassavetes and Richard Harris, they get bombed together, so drunk. And at one point, John Cassavetes says, I don't care whose name is on that ballot, I want you to say Gina. And Richard Harris says, it's a deal. Oh. And Cassavetes tells Gina, the morning after when he wakes up and realizes what he did, that he's, you know, he's so nervous and he's mortified and she's mortified and, you know, of course he's not going to do it, but he might do it because Richard Harris was crazy. <laughs> um, and so Richard Harris calls Gina Rowland's name when she wins the award and she's devastated because she, she, knows. She, she knows that 
you know, she mm. potentially didn't really win. So after nervous. the party, after everything, there was a bouquet of roses and a bottle of champagne with the ballot with Gina Rowland's name on it. Oh, thank God. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> a fun fact about my movie is that Nick Braun's um, big toenail was removed on the third day of filming. Oh, cool. And he was in a hot pink cast for the entire film. And now you wear it in a necklace? Around, <laughs> Pretty much, around yeah. Your, around your neck every day? I, I Never put it, take it in, a, in, a, in a tube of formaldehyde <laughs> and I put it on my mantle. Aw, yeah. what a great yeah. tribute. That's yeah. a great tribute. <laughs> This year's Lower East Side Film Festival takes place June 8th through the 15th, 2017, at the Lower East Side's famous Sunshine Cinema. Check lesfilmfestival.com for more details.